This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Say to me, all right, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. All right, so what's going to happen then is there's going to come the line, it's going to be a lamb, a lamb that stands between the seven spirits of God and the elders, a lamb as if was slain. And he then comes and take out the book from God's arm to open up the seven seals. As we see, the focus in heaven starts focusing on Jesus. Because he alone is worthy to open up this book. And so what we will read then further on, which is not on there, but then angels upon angels will fall down and worship him. What's, what's in that book, guys? What's in that book? Jesus is about to shoot the first seal off. Are you ready? All right, here we go. You guys might be disappointed. I was a little bit. First seal goes. And they see a white horse being released. For him has been granted to conquer. Now this horse or this man is a man of peace that will come to nations and will conquer. Have you guys ever seen around the world that we have come to know that Jesus truly is the Prince of Peace? But why on earth does no one in the world seem to recognize him as well? Why is there so many ideas, so many agendas being pushed on our earth and in our world, and it seems like Jesus is not considered at all. It seems like the world has been able to push away everything but Jesus and recognize its authority. God is saying, you will see Around nations, men that will rise up, declare themselves to be the answer, their agendas, their philosophies, whatever. And you will see me being disregarded, even like a vague past idea. And you will wonder, where is God? You would wonder, has things gone out of control, God? And God is saying, I've got this book in my hand. I'm on the throne. I've not moved out of control. The second seal will pop. Wars. The third seal will pop. Economic meltdowns. uh, uh, um, Famine. Poverty. God. I put on my TV. I look what's going on around me, and at times I cannot help to think for myself, God, have you lost control? 
God, things are seeming to go out of hand. And the Lord for the churches of Revelation knew that at some stage they will say it. But he's declaring once and for all for them. It's part of the meeting notes, guys. It's part of my agenda. I have never lost control. It's still in my hand. And I'm on the throne in control. Fourth seal opens up and death, all kinds of things break out on the earth. But we know he's in control and he's on the throne because he knew every Christian at every time at some stage will wonder what on earth is going on. I'm in control and I'm on the throne. Then I'm skipping the fifth seal. The sixth seal is the wrath of God that's being poured out. The seventh seal that pop, pop is seven trumpets that's being released, each one announcing something else. The seventh trumpet, the seventh trumpet, It's Jesus that's returning, and eternity is announced. Now the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. Eternity, forever and ever and ever. One to four, six to seven. I wonder what is seal five before the wrath of God. Seal five is a group of people that sits under the altar of God, and we are told who they are. We are told that they are those that have been killed for their faith, the martyrs. And they're crying out to the Lord and they're saying, how long, how long, how long, O Lord? And the Lord says, until your full number has come in, you're going to see Christianity being persecuted. You're going to see people being picked off for their faith like birds of a fence. You're going to wonder, where is God? But I'm declaring today, I'm in control. And I'm on the throne. Who wants to hasten the coming of Jesus? Get killed for his name. It's easy, right? Jesus can't come until the full number of those that will be killed for his name will come in. And so that's an easy way to get Jesus to come quicker. Just get killed for him. You'll help. He gets like this nervous laughter. (laughs) Who knows what my altar call will be like, you know. (laughs) Got some visitors from Iraq here. Just anybody is willing to hasten the coming of Jesus, please put up your hands. (laughs) All right. Isn't it for us so many times when we are aware of our world of how we would thought the kingdom of God will manifest itself? And it just seems like it didn't manifest itself quite in the way that we thought. And things are seeming to go out of hand. And sometimes I'm like, God, are you still? ISIS is killing Christians left, right, and center. The world is celebrating everything but you it's getting out of hand and he's declaring today i'm in control it's part of the script and i'm on the throne it's interestingly how many times when we are in the will of god that we have a certain assumption of how things should play out here's a classic example for me i mean that at least freaked me out 
Who of you would say it's a pretty significant event when Jesus got born on the earth? Look, I mean, this is, this is, this is about prophesied for 4,000 years that Jesus will be born on the earth, the Son of God will come and take away the sins of the world. And so, Joseph, oh yeah, by the way, the wife got conceived by the Holy Spirit, which would be quite ranked as a fairly high miracle, and you would kind of go like, well, this is pretty significant, pretty cool. And then there was a prophecy that this baby, this baby that was promised will actually be born in Bethlehem. They're not in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary is in Nazareth. And there's a census that comes out that where your tribe is, you need to go there for your census. For them, it was Bethlehem. So they rushed to be in time for their census, but they're actually rushing to be in time for a prophecy to be fulfilled. Look, if ever you were in the will of God, it is Joseph and Mary. I mean, all of heaven is focusing on this event and this time. Now, Mary is nine months pregnant. When my wife was nine months pregnant, like, I must be careful now. A half an hour in the car will be a stretch. The journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem on a donkey is a day's travel. Ladies, nine months pregnant. For a whole day. It's, 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 it's unimaginable for Joseph now to, <laughs> to keep on comforting his wife, you know. <sighs> All right. But on their way there, closer to Bethlehem, Mary, as a good responsible wife, is asking this question. Joseph, do you have sorted out some accommodation for us when we get there? And Joseph is thinking... Uh, he's thinking in his heart, God will provide. I mean, he's done crazy things up till now. It will work out. But he can't say it because then he will sound unorganized. So he needs to say the right thing. Yes, my dear, I've sorted it out. Don't worry. And he's thinking, please, God, I know last night you've appeared to a dream and a couple of guys, probably high officials, that as we approach Bethlehem is going to run out to us and say, are you Joseph and Mary? The Lord appeared to me. I need to take you into my palace, my room, whatever. Come. And they get closer to Bethlehem. And there's no one. And Mary is starting to get contractions. And she's getting quite worked up. Joseph, where are we going to go when we get into Bethlehem? Don't worry, my dear, I'll sort it out. Mary starts realizing Joseph had no plan. And now she's really muffed with him. Joseph, don't worry, my dear, I'll sort it out. And he's thinking, please, God, please, God, please, God, just give us a place. I know you've done so many things for us already. So they come, they knock on the first place. The guy said, you, man, you, you're very late. This town is... Bursting at it seems everybody has come in. Sorry, I don't have any space for you. His wife is waiting on the donkey. He needs to just go and tell her. Listen, Mary, um, this guy doesn't have... But I'm sure I've heard of the next guy. Don't worry, don't worry. She's like, Joseph, you have not prepared anything. That's all be all right. God will make a way. Comes to the next place, the next place. 
Mary's contractions is getting worse and worse and worse. She's getting more muffed and muffed at Joseph that did not organize anything. And Joseph is thinking, where is God? Finally, there's no, nothing left. Last place he goes. Mary, ah, sorry, sir, you need to help me. Anything, please. My wife is going to kill me. Just anything. The guy says, sorry, it's full. Anything. He says, well, there's space in the stables. Got it. Thanks. Mary, God has provided. You won't believe it. He's been so good to us. Really? Okay. It's, they say it's there at the back. It's awesome. Don't you want to come with? Okay. Praise God, Joseph. Joseph, but there's nothing. Just a stable. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph, we're going to have to speak about this afterwards. Huh? Haven't you thought about that story? It seemed like it was so, I mean, if ever God will make a way, and yet just nothing seems to work out in that whole event. And it was not like this was secondary on God's list of importance. And yet they find themselves ending up in a stable. And Wiseman comes, and it was actually a celebration, so perfect and ideal, Jesus, the earthly king, the servant of all. A little bit later in the Gospels, Paul is standing just in front of what will become one of the most significant moments in the history of Christianity. Up till that time, the Gospel has reached Israel, what we know, and portions of Asia and our Asia and their Asia is completely different. It's a small portion. And so as Paul is going again to regions that he has visited before, he feels the Holy Spirit stops him. All right. Next place stops him. All right. And so he tells these guys, listen, guys, I feel the Holy Spirit is stopping me here. He's feeling he's stopping me here. I'm going to go to sleep. And so Paul goes to sleep. At night, God appears to him in a dream. And a man from Macedonia says, come over here, come over here. So Macedonia then will be the the opening of Christianity breaking into Europe, which would be later the known world that will change the scope of Christianity forever. If you ever wanted to know whether the Holy Spirit is with you in your mission, that's Paul, knowing it for sure. So he's, you know, on his way there, first town Philippi, Things are going great. Speaks with a lady. Not a man though, but got a lady. Even though the dream was a man calling him over. It is a lady at the river. Starts preaching the gospel. She gets saved. In town, there's fireworks everywhere. There's a lady that has a little bit of a fortune-telling grace, gift, demonic anointing there. And he goes and he says, Yes, you're anointing. you're, You're annoying. Come out in Jesus' name. And uh, the demons left her, and this, wor- this girl suddenly becomes worthless for her owner because she can't do any fortune telling anymore. And so this owner of this lady gets really moved by Paul and Silas, and he says, all right, come. And they, they, uh, they, they arrest them, and they throw them in prison. Boom, ends up in prison. Again, I mean, I know we know the end of the story of many of us, but again, imagine 
that you've been following God so accurately, so in tune, and suddenly you find yourself in prison. What would you do? I tell you how most of us will, will kind of try and figure this out. Why on earth I've been following the Lord? Now I'm in prison. Silas, be honest with me. Were your dad a Freemason? Silas, no. It must be. There's something here. Something hidden. There must be. It's the devil. Something has caused me to be locked up here in prison. See, I, I, I recently I, I had a, a chat with a, a girl. Four miscarriages. What do you do? Four miscarriages. How do you make sense of that type of thing? And I can see in her, her, her mind, she's trying to figure out, like the temptation for Paul to be in prison. It's like, I've been following God, and here I am, and things are just not seeming to work out. And we find fault and reason and everything else, except Paul does not fall for that. He looks up, and he remembers God is in control. And he's on the throne. And from that place, not as a strategy as it's been preached to open up prisons by worshiping. It's not a strategy for Paul. Prison breaking strategy. Let's worship, guys. It's not. It's simply for Paul normal living God is in control, whether you throw me in a prison, where you end up in a palace, whether the thousands fall, whatever. God is in control and he's on the throne. I know it. I'm not threatened. I'm at complete rest. And he worships God. <laughs> not so long ago, I was, uh, um, very long ago actually, I just, I just got saved. I should sound like I'm saved for a very long time. I'm saved for a very long time, guys. So way, way, way back, I was just saved and just with the Lord. My parents has a, has a, a sheep farm. And uh, I was uh, one day just sitting, I don't know what's, there's not a nice English word for kraal, the sheep holding, you know. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at the kraal. You guys all understand me, right? And the guys are, again, I don't know what's in English. You know, Afrikaans are the doctor is They doctor the sheep, right? So the process is something like this. There's, there's a guy standing at a gate of the crawl with, I mean, needles like, I mean, serious thick ones. I don't want those things close to me. And all kinds of things. And what they do is the other guys go and they catch the sheep. They get the sheep to drag them all the way while the sheep is kicking like this and they drag the sheep and then when they get to the gate they put the sheep on the back and the sheep is in this position how nice huh so vulnerable I must and then so there's just needles going in and there's all kinds of pipes and all kinds of things and then they will let the sheep go out of the gate and every time they let the sheep go the sheep will run for its life that first five six meters and then realize no one is following him and every time the sheep would look back and have this impression on his face, what was that all about? And just, just, just walk on. And, and, I, and I, 
sat there, you know, and I sat there and I was thinking to myself, I wonder if I could ever speak to a sheep and explain to him that we're actually doing a good thing to him. I mean, that's just one of those things, this thought that crossed my mind. And as I'm thinking it, I heard the Lord as clear as daylight says to me, that's how I feel. Can I say to you, my thoughts is higher than a sheep's thoughts. I know there was a little bit of doubt here. I just want to affirm this. It is true. But it is not higher than God's thought is above mine. And sometimes God's going to take us for processes and do stuff with us. Now in the moment, I'm just like, but he's doing something good to us. Now for a sheep, you can just give him a bunch of lucerne and he's happy. But that day when they took the sheep for all of those things, they probably protected him and did a greater blessing than what he went through there. You know what, guys, as I was preparing for you guys, I actually felt like for a lot of you guys, you have tried to follow the Lord. and You've been faithful in what you needed to do and all the things that comes with it. But somehow things didn't quite pan out in the way that you thought it will happen. And for some of you, you've become really discouraged. And I feel the Lord wants to tell you guys today I'm in control. I'm in control. And I'm on the throne. You know, just to continue with Paul's story in Philippi, he then later writes them a letter. You won't believe it. In prison. Again. And he writes to them and he says this thing. He says, you guys won't believe it. I know you guys are very worried for me because of prison. But it actually has turned out to the furtherance of the gospel. Hallelujah. God could have done no better work than getting me in prison. I see it now. First thing. Suddenly the prison guard is hearing the gospel like they never do. And the gospel, revival is breaking open in the prison guard. God is great. God is awesome. Secondly, with me being imprisoned, there's a certain boldness that broke open now in the churches. They're thinking, we were so afraid that we will be beaten up in prison. How terrible it will be. But now we see Paul is doing it and suddenly we realize, maybe it isn't that bad. And suddenly a new boldness has broken open in the churches that nobody's even afraid of persecution or prisons anymore. How awesome is God, Paul is saying. But in verse 6 of Philippians 1, he then says, And I have come to be convinced. You know if you become convinced that at some stage you weren't convinced. But now I am convinced. Hallelujah! That the God that started the good work in us will complete it. And I believe for some of you, you need to hear this today. Because in following God, you have 
Imagine the accommodation will come through supernaturally. It's actually quite appropriate. <laughs> you, you've, 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 you've imagined that you would, life will be sweet and here you are in a prison. I feel the Lord is saying, and you need to hear that, am I on the throne? Am I in control? And the good work that I've started in you, I will complete. You know, end off of this portion. But there's a, let me say this to you. One of the most deadliest things that the enemy can steal from us, one of the most deadliest things is our hope. There is nothing, and I'll show you now in scripture where, well, let me just go there and then, then, then we can discuss it. <laughs> so Hebrews, is this thing stuck? Are we, are we got it. All right. Hebrews 3 verse 1. Okay. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you share in the heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. We're going to go now to chapter of verse 6. But before we go there, I firstly want to explain verse 2 to verse 5. What Paul is then going to go, or the writer of Hebrews, I don't want to make a mistake there. The writer of Hebrews then goes and he says, Jesus is great. But you guys remember Moses. Moses was a faithful builder of God's house. Awesome. In fact, Moses was so good in God's house, so faithful with it, that when he was finishing building God's house, God, with all his presence and all his glory, decided to reside in the place, the house that Moses has built. And now the writer of Hebrews says, verse 6, But Christ, is faithful over God's house as a son. You thought Moses was great in building God's house. There's one that's even greater, Jesus. You thought Moses put things together perfectly so that God can come with his presence there. There is one that's even greater, even more powerful, even more faithful, even more perfect in all his ways. His name is Jesus. And we are his house. You thought Moses built a pretty awesome house. Jesus is building, busy building a house even more perfect than Moses. Who you are. Every little circumstance, every little situation, every little revelation, Jesus is all the time busy building a house who you are. If you thought Moses was perfect, you should see Jesus. You know the trick about the tabernacle is the outside of the tabernacle looked terrible, badger skin. I mean, that is as dull as freaking can be. But the closer you got to the tabernacle and the more you got into it, it was more glorious and glorious. We always want the badger skin to be gold and the inside we really don't care. But Jesus knows what is important and he is busy building a house who you are perfectly. Every conversation, everything is continuously putting it together to build a house where he can reside, who you are. And then it says, if 
There's not many ifs in the New Testament. But if there's an if, we need to notice. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. I've seen so many times, you know, people are experiencing great things of God. They're praising God. And then suddenly they seem to feel like they're hitting a dead end in their journey with God. Initially it was so easy, and now I suddenly find it so difficult. These insecurities, I just never seem to shake. This depression, I just never seem to shake. The shame, I never seem to shake. There's so many things that I just never seem to shake. And then the thought comes in, this is probably as good as it gets. That will just be my lot. And at that moment, you've let go of hope. And you've stopped Jesus completing the work in your life. I want to say today to you guys, there's something that is impossible. I know we should always preach that nothing is impossible. But there is something that's impossible. You know what? It is impossible to be hopeless in the face of Jesus. You can try it. It's impossible to be hopeless in the face of Jesus. And I think for some of us, we've been pulled by the feelings around us, been pulled by experiences, we've been pulled by circumstances, and somehow the presence have consumed us. Somehow the enemy has been able to pull away the plug of hope. I believe the Lord is calling guys back today. Calling people back to hope in the face of Jesus. That we must know That in the midst of all the things that we are considering, he's in control. In the midst of all the things that we're seeing, he's still on the throne. In the midst of things that I thought will pan out so much differently, he still declares, I am faithful to complete the work that I've started. In the process of myself that I thought the building would have looked by now like this. He is saying, I'm faithful in God's house who you are. It's going to be perfect for God's presence. Hold on. Hold on to the hope. Hold on to the confidence, remember, that you had at first. Hold on to that confidence. Draw back on that confidence at first. That him that started the good work, him that is building his house, will complete it for a perfect house so God can be in it. Can we pray? I'm going to ask, I know it's, so let's just keep engaged. I'm going to ask you guys, I know this is going to be, I'm, I'm dealing with an older crowd here, but I'm going to ask this, if you can,
Let's just stand. I'm asking it gently. <laughs> Remember. Can you close your eyes, please, just for a moment? Remember is the word. Remember. Remember. Remember the confidence and the hope you had at first. Remember. I'm calling you back to a remembrance of the confidence and the hope you had at first. Not a confidence that will be bold on what your circumstances are telling you, on what people are telling you, on what your experience are telling you. But my face, a revelation of me, And Father, I want to pray for every person right now that in some ways have cast out, cast off a measure of confidence and a measure of hope. I want to pray for every person that at some stage in their heart made up, this is as good as it gets. No! Father, I want to pray to every person that is questioning themselves at some stage. Where is God? Has He lost control? Has this gone out of hand? That they will see you as the one that holds destinies in His hand and the one that is sitting on the throne. Father, I pray, Father, that every eye that has wandered away, Father, every eye, every heart that has been gripped by circumstance, situation, Father, today will be pulled back to the face of Jesus. The one that is building His house. Perfect. The one that it promised. I will complete that which I've started. And Father, I pray that you will raise up a new hope. That you will rise up a new confidence. Father, that people will not merely remember legacy. But Father, the new word is not only legacy, but the new word is destiny. Father, I pray that eyes will be lifted up, not only to remember what you've done, but also now with confidence, straight out what you want to do through and amongst us. We praise you, Jesus. We glorify you. We praise you, Jesus. We glorify you. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.